You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, I'll pray for us, and um, we will get started. Lord, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. And um, thank you for today. Thank you for our church, and thank you for the friendships and the, the relationships that are here. Thank you for the good news of Christ and the hope and the peace and the joy that that brings to us and the life that we have. Father, we pray that the light of Christ would um, shine in this time, um, that we might enjoy the fruits of your labor. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is the first part of a, um, a series about rest in the gospel. That's kind of our theme for junior high and high school this year, uh, but it's going to be obviously applicable if you have younger children or high school. Um, and it kind of... Uh, comes out of this reality that uh, anxiety is just so pervasive amongst our kids. They are just, they live, they just live overwhelmed. And so we're going to be, have four different lessons where we'll be talking about how it is that we help our kids to find rest um, in Christ, rest through the gospel, and how we too as people find that rest as well. And so the text that we're going to be using, oh, I'm so not prepared. Um, can I have a couple of volunteers, please, to hand out these? Uh, how about first row, ready, set, go? Thank you all, and thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to be working from um, Isaiah 51, uh, verses 1 through 11. And before I read this, just to give you a little bit of context, book of Isaiah, when you're in uh, chapter 40 through 64, which is kind of the second half of Isaiah, structurally speaking, um, Isaiah is speaking prophetically uh, to the exiles, uh, to the Israelites who have been brought into exile, and um, he has said it's going to happen, and now it hasn't happened when Isaiah is speaking, but he's speaking prophetically a word of hope and light um, to the exiles, and he is saying... um, he is talking about the servant. And so the servant is, this, this, this section of Isaiah, it's, all pro, it's mostly prophetic um, material pointed toward the coming of Jesus. And so here in, in chapter 51, um, he is, again, speaking to uh, the faithful remnant of Israel. They are removed from Israel. They're in a place of darkness and a place of hope, hopelessness. And he is speaking hope. And so what he is doing is he's going to help construct what he call um, a gospel narrative, uh, past, present, and future. So he says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I may bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her wasted places, and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they 
who dwell in it will be in, in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like the wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, so basically, the, 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 the need here is these are people who need peace. These are people who need rest. They need hope. They need light. And, and that is the word of hope that's being spoken to them uh, by Isaiah. Um, and it's prophetically speaking about Christ. And so it's a pertinent text if we're talking about kids. And so um, if, if you're kind of new to this class, if you've never come, this is Faith and Family. And what we do in this class is we believe that the, the spiritual discipleship and spiritual investment in children is a cooperation between the church and parents. And we feel it's our responsibility to give you as much education, equipping, and encouragement as we can uh, to help you uh, invest in your child spiritually. And so that's what we do here each Sunday. And so what we'll do the next four Sundays is talk about how it is that we give this hope um, of, and rest and anxiety, um, not anxiety, peace from anxiety <laughs> to kids. All right, so I want to start out I've played this video before, but it's just worth it. I want you, as we watch this little video, to tell me if you can kind of identify with this or you've seen your child act like this in your house. Okay, everybody, cake time! Oh, sweetheart, can you just take a minute to enjoy it? It's your birthday. You put too much pressure on yourself. I remember my sweet 16. I wanted a theme party. Moonstruck had just come out, but I hadn't. Oh, so no, I was... worries, no time at 18. Here we go, everybody. We all know why we're here. Hi, honey, you missed one. I know! I know I missed one. I'm not an idiot! Oh. There, happy! Whoa, you're being a little... I'm separate. Okay, so anyhow, we've, uh, anybody kind of had a moment or two like that with your child? Yeah, maybe not that bad, but something along those lines. Um, and so that's just a sample of kind of this anxiety or this sense of being overwhelmed um, that we see. And so what I want to talk about today is how um, helping your child construct a hopeful and true narrative uh, that's based in the gospel that helps them to find peace and rest and to get perspective um, as they encounter uh, things that they're, that are overwhelming. I, I, I want to say this, you know, in a sensitive way here, um, but do you all remember, uh, you know, during, in 2016 during the, was it, yeah, 2016, during the uh, election, how there were a lot of uh, students who completely fell apart, uh, you know, after Donald Trump won the election. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's unreasonable for a person, you know, of, if, depending on your uh, ideological standpoint to be nervous or to be afraid. But I had a student who was a student government officer at Wake Forest, and he had a student want to make an appointment with him 
after the election, and it was related to the presidential, the national presidential election. This was in no, you know, November, and the, and so he was very puzzled by this. He got together with the student, and the student said that he wanted to talk because student counseling services was booked out, and he was thinking about dropping out of school because he was so bereft by the results of the election. Now keep in mind, he's only like two or three weeks away from uh, two or three weeks away from finishing the semester and getting his credits, but he was thinking about dropping out of the semester because he was so overwhelmed um, by the results of the election. That is that is uh, a person living without a narrative. Like there, there, you know, it, it could be a very, it, it could. I'm trying to be really careful here. Obviously, politically, as you can tell, <laughs> dance, dance about eggshells. I, uh, I am just saying that, like. No matter what happens in your life, you know, no matter what tragedy, no matter what crisis, no matter what's happening in the world, whether it's warfare, terrorism, whatever it is, like, like God, God has given us enough tools to be able to navigate any situation with some clarity and serenity of mind. And that is part of, we have a narrative by which we can say, okay, like God's still in control. God's good, so on and so forth. That's part of living under a narrative. So what we're trying, um, what we're trying to help kids do as we are raising them is we're trying to help construct a narrative under which they live so that as they get out of your house or as they have you know problems and, and difficulties in their life now, um, that they have a narrative by which they can process their disappointments, the things that they're anxious about, the things they're freaking out about. They have a narrative that they can go back to and say, okay, like this is hard, this is disappointing, and like, I'm going to be okay. This is not the end of the world. And so we're going to look at this um, gospel narrative in terms of gospel past, gospel present, and gospel future. That's kind of what is going on here in Isaiah 51. It is the prophet Isaiah delivering a narrative to people who are in some significant issues. I mean, they have been—they are exiles. They are enslaved. They have been ripped from their homeland. Uh, they, are, they have been marched over 700 miles across the desert. That's that's a real problem. <laughs> like, that's a that's a that's a major issue. And he's offering them a hopeful narrative under which to live. And he points to past things that God has done. In our terms, he points to present realities of the gospel and then future realities as well. And so the point of what we're going to try to do here is uh, is present this as um, a framework that you can work on your child with as they as they. Um, encounter difficulties. And you start this early because obviously building a narrative and a framework under which you live, it's not something you just, you know, nail in one night. It's a li- it's a lifetime kind of thing. So first, we're going to look at gospel past. Um, we're going to be looking here at, at this text and we're going to look at verses one through, th- 1 through 3 first. It says, listen to me, you who are righteous, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness in Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. So the first thing, notice he uses these words in this text. He says, listen to me, look. And then later he'll say, awake, awake. Basically what he's saying is, Remember the narrative. Remember the narrative under which you live. You know, a lot of times a way a way you could say this to a kid or in just like everyday language would be 
let's get some perspective. You know, let's take a step back. Let's get a little bit of altitude, and let's remember what's true. I have a um, uh, there's a woman in our church. She has two incredible college-age daughters, and she would talk about when her daughter was really upset um, and really struggling. How she would tell her daughter when she was a little girl, "Go get in the bathtub." She would like draw the water, go get in the bathtub, and she'd say, "And what I want you to do." is I just want you to say things that you know that are true about God. So a child comes home with some kind of middle school drama or some kind of disappointment or stress in elementary school, get in the bathtub, and I just want you for five minutes to say things that you know that are true about God. And so this was her way of teaching her child how to remember the narrative under which she was living to get perspective. Um, and that this was her way of saying, listen, look back, awake. And so the things that... Isaiah is pointing to here are things from Israel's past. He says, remember Abraham. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. So think about, he's saying, hey, Israel, remember there was a time when I promised to make you a nation with one person, a husband and a wife, and they were elderly, and they were barren, and they there was no chance that they were going to have children, and it was a hopeless situation, but you know what? I miraculously enabled them to have a child for them to have Isaac. And then, you know, I called Abraham to put Isaac on an altar and I delivered him from that situation. And then they had children and they had children and, they, and then they went to Egypt. And you'll notice at the end, he starts to, he starts to point back to Egypt. He says um, in, verses, uh, in verses 10 through 11, no, sorry, let's go to verse 9, 9 through 11. Awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, he's talking about Egypt, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the deep, talking about the parting of the Red Seas, who made the depth of the seas away for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So basically he then is pointing back, don't you remember Israel? Don't you remember when you were enslaved in Egypt and I delivered you and I parted the Red Sea and I led you across that and I crushed the army of Pharaoh and I brought you to the promised land. So he's saying, remember things that I did for you in the past. Remember how I was faithful to you with Abraham. I was faithful to you in Egypt. And um, and now, even though you're in this terrible place, I'm a faithful God. You've seen it in the past. So he's pointing to the past um, as a part of the narrative under which they live. And so if you're if you're a Christian, you know, this is relevant to us, like the promises and the things that the Lord did in the Old Testament. But in particular, we point back to the cross. We point back to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, I had a, a student with a uh, who was having a, a, a typical adolescent crisis recently, and so we, you know, I kind of listened to him and heard all that was going on, and kind of gave him a little my best the best wisdom I had. And uh, and then at the end I was like, okay, let's let's talk past, present, future. And I said, what is it that Jesus has done for you in the past? And he said, well, he uh, died on the cross. That's right. Um, he lived a perfect life for you. He came for you, right? And so we, that was the first thing we did is we started out remembering the past, remembering what Jesus had done for him. So, so then, so that's gospel past. That's what we're talking about. So then, uh, gospel present. All right. So in the text, in verse four, it says, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out for me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Okay. So, Book of Isaiah, think Christmas time. Uh, what do you think he's talking about here? 
the light to the peoples. What is Isaiah prophetically talking about? What's that? That's right, the Messiah. Good job. That's my wife, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, honey. Appreciate you. Um, yeah, so think about uh, the, a lot of the text we read from Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 around Christmas time. It's talking about um, those who are dwelling in darkness. To them, a light has come. And so here, Isaiah is talking forward. It's forward to the Israelites about the coming of the Messiah, how the Messiah will come um, and uh, come to, you know, to deliver them. And for us, though, it's our present, like Jesus already has come. And so for us... Um, for us, uh, you know, uh, for us, this is the pre- this is the present reality that Jesus already has come for us. In verse five, he says, "My righteousness draws near; my salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples; the coastlands hope for me, and from our arm they wait." And so, so basically, here um, we're talking about the present realities that have come as a product of the gospel. So, some of those realities are that because Jesus has come, like His kingdom has been established, like Jesus reigns on his throne that is that is where jesus is now after he after he rose from the dead he ascended into heaven and jesus is sitting on the throne um orchestrating the total redemption of the world presently like he is totally in control and when you see in revelation images of of jesus's present uh, existent his present life and experience in heaven he is sitting on his throne he's not running around he's not worried he's not doing this he is calmly sitting on his throne because he's in control and he is in his own time and in his own way orchestrating redemption throughout the whole world um, through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. And so um, so with that being said, like when we're kind of helping a, a child construct this narrative, we want to remind them of the present realities of the gospel, things that we now currently enjoy because of Jesus. And some of those, I think three of those that I... Um, in particular, uh, think about are one, the reign of Jesus right now. Like Jesus is in control. And going back to the college students who are falling apart <laughs> because of an election, like that could, you could see that as a really, really, really bad, really awful, scary thing. And that's totally reasonable. And in light of that, like Jesus is still the king. Like no matter who's the president of the United States, no matter who's the president of Russia, like Jesus is still the king. Like they are still under his rule. And so with that being said, that's a huge comfort to know that, you know, think about it in kid terms. You know, they think about, you know, your child is on this path and they are just certain that they're going in this direction and something happens and their life is altered. You know, they're now going in a totally different direction and it can just feel like life is over. You know, uh, if, you, if, if your child is going into high school and they have a, um, you know, a situation where they lose all their friends. You know, their, their friends go in one direction and they get shut out and they're no longer getting invited, which is really common in ninth and 10th grade. It's kind of, there's this kind of picking of teams and some people don't get on the social team. They get left out of the friend group and they don't get called anymore. And so they see their friends on Instagram every weekend hanging out and they're not invited. They've been taken out of the group text. Um, that is, you know, to a kid, that feels like their world has come to an end. Because when a child is, you know, seventh grade to 10th grade in particular, so much of their existence is tied up in where do I fit in, like my social group. That's why they're so obsessed with their phones and social media and that kind of stuff, because to them, like that is their sense of being a part of the group. And so, um, so with that being said, if that is, if if their group is stripped from them, 
they, they, that, that is an existential crisis for a child. And so with that being said, um, as they're trying to think about where do I go from here, uh, you know, hey, well, first off, let's take a step back and remember that like Jesus is still the king over your life. Like Jesus is still ruling your life. Your story is not over. Jesus is not surprised by this and he remains in control. Furthermore, other re- present realities of the gospel are that um, we're never alone. Like the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself dwell in our hearts. Like we live our lives and Jesus never leaves us. Uh, he is always in our heart going forward. And so um, those are other present realities to remind a child of, um, especially because I feel like I feel like childhood in particular, but in particular, the adolescent ages are really, really lonely. It's extremely isolating, um, you know, because you're so self-conscious and and uh, and you're, you know, and all the friend drama and all that kind of stuff. And you think that, you know, the pimple on your forehead, everyone notices. And now you're everyone at school is talking about that zit on your forehead and you know, all of that. That, and that's just how it is. Um, and anyhow, all that to say that it's a really lonely time. And so reminding them of not only the present reign of Christ in their life, but also, too, of the present reality that um, God, through the Holy Spirit and in the person of Jesus Christ, dwells in their heart. They're not alone. That is a present reality to remind them of. Uh, finally, gospel future. Uh, in verse uh, 6, um, we see that... Uh, Isaiah says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. So this is what you call eschatological language. This is language that points to um, the end of time, and we would say the second coming of Christ. This imagery of uh, the heavens vanish like smoke. In Second Peter 3, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Uh, Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The Israelites, the original reading audience of this, they did not realize that there would be a first coming of the Lord, or a first day of the Lord, and a second day of the Lord. Uh, like we, you know, in, in Christianity, we believe that through Christ, um, that there were two comings of Christ. There's two two days of the Lord. In the Old Testament, they thought it would just be one, uh, but in reality, there's the first coming of Christ, you know, in His life, His death, His resurrection, and then the second coming of Christ, where heaven and earth will merge and everything will be right. I think this is a very underrated thing we need to talk to kids about, and that is the um, reality of heaven, um, the reality of the second coming of Christ. And I say that in, t- in two ways. Um, one, it is very helpful to remind them that like this life uh, and the difficulties of this life are temporary. They're not going to struggle like this forever. Um, and yeah, you know what? The struggles of being an adolescent, they're not going to struggle with that forever either. You know, they're going to grow up and, you know, the challenges of life are different. But I don't know about you all, but <laughs> I am so glad I'm not a teenager. <laughs> and I'm so glad I'm not a teenager right now in particular. It's just so hard. Um, but, but in eternal terms, like we're not going to suffer like this forever. You know, I, uh, I know I got two messages this morning that two of my friends, their parents died, uh, two different friends, one, their dad died and one, their mom died this morning. That's very, very sad. That's you know, a tough morning. Um, but that's, death is not going to be forever. Like mourning and grief are not forever. Uh, and so the difficulties of the life are only temporary. And so gospel future, like reminding our kids that, this life is short compared to the eternity, eternity in heaven, 
where you will live in perfect bliss, perfect happiness, completely delivered from all difficulty, all struggle, all anxiety, all fear um, for eternity. Uh, that is an important thing. And on top of that, uh, when Christ comes back, like he is going to exact his justice. Like he is going to make everything right. And so, you know, when our kids um, have are overwhelmed by the, the sadness and the tragedies and the injustices in the world, uh, it's helpful to remind them that like there is a day when Jesus is going to make all this right. Uh, when everything that is wrong, he is going to deliver his retribution and he is going to rectify those things. And so that, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about a gospel future uh, in, terms of, um, in terms of that aspect of the narrative. And so let's get very practical here. Another sheet that I did not hand out. Sorry, everybody. Um, this row, you guys get to hand out this time. You're holding it, baby. You're off the hook. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, talk very, very practically. I think the, the big picture thing that I'm trying to communicate is that you know, how many of you are observing your child struggle with some sense of anxiety? Some sense, you know, have seen your child feel a little bit overwhelmed in some way, right? It's kind of, it's a, it's a kind of an every week kind of thing. First thing I'm saying is help your child get perspective. You know, don't just, it, it is, it is important and it's good for you to enter into that situation that your child is dealing with. You know, to hear the difficulties, to hear the details, to give them some wisdom. But we don't want to be completely tactical. By that, what I mean by that is we don't just want to just dwell in the situation. All right. So there's, um, I've got four tests, and I'm, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. Da 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 da. It is important to enter into the four test situation, right? And be like, okay, let's think about this. You know, let's let's get a strategy. Let's you know study here a little bit and. Maybe we can negotiate with this teacher to take it later. Anyhow, that, so that's what I mean by being tactical. But we don't just want to stay in the tactical, okay? We want to take them to the meta level, to the perspective level, where uh, you know you can say let's let's also take a step back and let's remember and let's let's remember the big picture. Let's get some perspective, okay? And and this is where the um, this is where this narrative that I'm talking about is helpful because ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to help them develop a pattern for their self so that they, uh, when they are facing, they're overwhelmed, they can remember, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom and dad, they, they've kind of coached me on this, on how to get perspective. Let me remember what's true. Let me get in the bathtub and say the things about God that are true, uh, you know, uh, in the, in the, to use that analogy. Uh, but anyhow, so here's how I've kind of broken this down. This is a little bit complicated. But uh, and I'm not going to recommend that you get this overly technical. <laughs> but just to give you some some categories from which to draw, um, when we talk, I have on this chart the past, present, and future. But then I have different layers of it. I have redemptive history. I have the gospel or the Christ event, and then I have personal narrative at the subjective level. It doesn't all. I mean, it is helpful, and I would recommend that you point to primarily to the gospel. Like, hey, let's remember. Uh, you've got four tests more. Let's let's take a step back and let's remember what is it that Jesus has done for you, right? Like Jesus already lived perfectly for you, okay? So you're not expected to be perfect. Jesus died on the cross. He has solved your only A-list problem in life. What's going to happen to you when you die? That's the only really big problem in life. Let's get perspective there. Um, 
let's remember you're not alone in this. Like Jesus is Jesus is still in control even though you have four tests. Uh, and let's remember that you're not alone. The Lord's with you. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you to face anything that you encounter. And let's remember the future realities that you know you're not always going to be striving like this. Like there's a rest that that awaits us in heaven. So that that would be kind of talking in gospel terms. You can also talk in what I'd say call redemptive history terms. You can remember stories from the Bible. Um, so your child has been really hurt and really wounded, and uh, they're let's say that there's been a breakup and their heart is broken. Um, and I will have to say that like when I was in high school, a breakup was like tantamount to Chernobyl. I mean, it was like a nuclear holocaust kind of big deal to me. I was such a drama queen. Um, anyhow, no narrative whatsoever. Uh, anyhow, but, um, but you know, like, hey, let's remember, like, uh, yeah, you're brokenhearted. You've got a, you know, you've got a wounded heart. But, like, let's not forget that, like, Jesus um, healed the lepers and Jesus um, healed the brokenhearted and, and those kind of things, like pointing back to Bible stories. That, that is... That is, you know, remembering God's faithfulness in very concrete terms. And that's particularly helpful if you're dealing with an elementary age child or an early adolescent child because they think in very concrete terms. So these abstract concepts of the gospel are not going to land with them as much. But concrete Bible stories of like God healing or remember when Jesus fed the, you know, fed the 10,000 people, uh, that is like looking back. Like Jesus, Jesus, you know, he provides for you too. So um, that's what, what I mean by redemptive history. Then when I go down, yeah, pointing to concrete stories from the Bible to remind your child of the character of God and the promises of God and how that applies to them. Uh, and then finally, personal narrative, subjective. Like thinking back into your child's life uh, or the life of your family or your own personal story to when you, see, to when you have seen God come through. So... Um, Let's pretend that Johnny got cut from the basketball team in seventh grade and he was devastated. Well, now it's 11th grade and Johnny made the team, uh, but Johnny is sitting on the bench and, you know, Johnny is so discouraged. Well, we can go back and say, Johnny, remember in seventh grade how devastated you were and, like, think about how, what, you know, things that you learned through that and think about how God, you recovered from that and the Lord brought you through that, like, God will bring you through this too. Like pointing back to back to stories of you know when the Lord is provided. I find that this is particularly helpful, <laughs> like with a family thinking about like finances. You know, just thinking about like doesn't everyone wake up like pretty much every morning worrying about how you're going to pay for your college education? <laughs> Isn't that just like a normal a normal reality of being a parent? Like five twenty nine, five twenty nine, five twenty nine. But you know to go back and like remember. Uh, Gosh, how personal should I get with this story? Okay, let's get vulnerable. All right. So Varn and I first got married. We were like poor. We really, we didn't make a whole lot of money. And so anyhow, uh, we had this conviction that we should not live off. We should only live off of my income, not off her income, because we um, wanted to have kids. And you know, Jane and Don Menendez had told me, if you think you're gonna, if you think your wife's gonna stay home when you have kids, don't live off your wife's income when you're first married because you'll get used to it and then you'll have the baby and you won't know what to do. So if Jane and Don tell you to do something, you do it, right? It is, it is from God's lips, you know, to your ears. Anyhow, so, uh, so we were all in that. So I'm like, how are we going to make the budget? So anyhow, I, uh, I can remember going down to the pool at our, uh, at the complex where we lived and like praying over the budget and just like arbitrarily putting in the numbers. 
And so let's say hypothetically that after taxes we made a thousand dollars a month. Okay. So I like write down the budget, and it wasn't it was reasonable. And uh, so then I added it up, and we had the budget. Um, the budget was basically in total nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. There was one dollar, <laughs> one dollar left over in the budget. And it was kind of one of those things like, whoa, you know, it, I, I, there, there was no like there was no orchestrating that to make it work. I just arbitrarily put down the numbers. And at the end, there was one dollar left over. And it was like, all right, like we got this, you know, like the Lord is going to provide for us. And so that is a story that I look back to of like, why am I worried about stuff? Like we've seen in our life how the Lord has provided over and over and over and over again. And you can look at me. I have not missed any meals there. We have never gone hungry at the coal house. <laughs> so anyhow, basically remembering like from your own life from the history of your family, from your adolescent age, like times when the Lord provided for you and being able to communicate that to your child, remembering how the Lord has done that in the life of your child, communicating that to your child. That too is a way of helping your child um, gain a narrative, get perspective, and have a sense of rest when they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, last story, good, really good story here. Um, sad story, but a good story. Uh, so Lauren and I, oh yes, four minutes left. Um, Lauren and I, after our son died, we went to a retreat up in Nashville. This was about, gosh, about six years ago to the late to Labor Day weekend. Five years ago, been five years, yeah, five years ago. That's right. So there was a, there was a, there were, this retreat was for people who lost children, and there were about a dozen other couples who had lost children. You want to talk about? I called it Collective Misery Weekend because everyone's telling stories of like having their children having died, and it was awful. But it was really helpful, and it was good, and and it was a wonderful ministry. But there was this one couple, and um, they had a child, a child at college, and um, I can't remember the details, but I know that the mother was two hours away when the, the husband found out that their son had died accidentally um, in college and the mother was with her da- with her daughter, the kid's sister, um, two hours away from home. And so she pulls over, he delivers the awful news and she has to drive two hours with her daughter, you know, having broken the news to her that their bro- that her brother who is like a sophomore in college had died. okay? Awful. Can't imagine anything worse, right? And so this woman who's really faithful and really mature, neat lady, um, she said, and so what I did for two hours is I just told my daughter everything I knew that was true about God. For two hours, I just told my daughter everything I knew was true about God. And, and that is how I filled the two-hour drive, you know, back home. And, like, that is obviously, like, at the very bottom. But that is what we're talking about in terms of modeling for your child and trying to help your child have a narrative that they can live under so that when they are overwhelmed, when they are anxious, um, they have a hopeful, true, and coherent narrative to live under that enables them to have rest, even though things are really, really hard. Uh, so, any, anybody have any questions? It's been a lot of stuff, sorry. Ended a little intense there. <laughs> right, well, um, I'll pray for us. Thanks for coming. Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. And um, thank you that there is this story that we live under that's true and that's helpful and that gives us peace. And give us, um, help us all, Lord, to live under this, this narrative. Um, it's not like we're exempt from being overwhelmed and scared ourselves. And so 
remind us, Lord, of what you've done in the past. Remind us of what's true in the present and what uh, is also true and we can expect in the future. And Lord, give us hope, peace, and joy that comes from knowing Christ Jesus, our good Lord. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.